This is the One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. I'm your host, Kaylin Less. We all want to be more present and less stressed. We want to feel at peace and have mental clarity so we can be better leaders at work and at home. But for high achievers, counterbalancing work life and personal life can feel easier said than done. Today's guest is a retired Navy SEAL turned mindfulness teacher who learned firsthand how meditation can help you cope with stress, transform your relationships, and get better results. He knows that finding peace and productivity is not about doing everything. It's about focusing on the small habits that make clarity possible and sustainable. With that, let's get into this conversation with John McCaskill. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch, snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. So can you give us a quick background on who you are and what started you on your mindfulness journey? Sure. Yeah. I'm John McCaskill. I am a retired Navy SEAL commander. I retired from the Navy after 24 years, 17 of which was with with the Navy SEALs or attached to special operations in some capacity. And now I'm teaching mindfulness and meditation and and that's not your typical journey. Uh, I got to teach mindfulness and meditation um, because in my time in the teams, in the SEAL teams, I battled with some stress and anxiety and, and survivor guilt. And that led me to seek out some counseling. And one of the counselors recommended that I try meditation, mindfulness. And, and to be 100% honest, uh, I kind of laughed at him uh, initially. Well, and think into that for a minute. Why, what made you laugh? Like you were sure. you're having this experience and mindfulness seems like not the solution at first. Place. <laughs> so tell me what exactly. you were thinking. Exactly. Yeah. I was thinking that I was, uh, you know, this big, tough uh, Navy SEAL and that meditation was for weaklings or yogis or monks. Um, again, nothing, uh, nothing wrong with any of that, but it's just not what I saw myself as. And so I laughed at him and told him that I had some serious problems and that meditation wasn't going to be something that helped with it. And, uh, and then he reframed it and said, you know what, what if I had something that could help your performance? What if I could help with your, your work, your productivity, your focus, your physical performance? And as a Navy SEAL, you're always looking for an edge. You're looking for an edge over the, the enemy on the battlefield, or you're looking for an edge over your buddy right next to you in, in some type of physical competition or mental competition. 
So I was sold when he said that he had something that could improve my performance. And, uh, and so it's funny when that, that same thing, it was meditation. And so I, I went back and I started practicing. Uh, initially jumped into uh, an hour-long meditation, which was a big mistake because immediately my mind started wandering and then I started beating myself up thinking that I couldn't meditate. Um, and I went back to see the doc a few weeks later and, and he said, well, that's like lining up at the start of a marathon without ever having run a, a mile. And uh, so I ate some humble pie and I went back and I started just doing some you know, three-minute, four-minute breathing exercises and then worked my way up to a longer meditation. And I started to see some of the benefits that he had promised. I started to see that I was communicating better, that I was focused uh, at work, uh, that I was more productive, that I was more able to get into that state of flow. And over and above that, I started to see that the depression and the anxiety and the stress that I had been dealing with, it was still there, but I was able to process it in a much more healthy way. And so I started telling people, and then we started doing uh, some meditation groups, small meditation groups, and I started to see that it was positively affecting them. And so it was right about this same time that I was looking to get out of the military and wondering what it was I was going to do. And lo and behold, the answer was right there in front of my face that I could actually teach mindfulness and meditation to folks so that they could experience these same benefits that I've experienced. So as you were transitioning out of your one thing, this new one thing that saved your life is staring you down in a way that you can serve others. A hundred percent. Yes, that's a great way of putting it. Uh, and yeah, and I never saw it there. It was kind of hidden. And then yes, it just kind of uh, revealed itself to me. And it is my, my new one thing is to, to help others live a happier, more fulfilling life through the practice of meditation, living mindfully. In my own journey, mindfulness, meditation, I've seen the studies. I know in my brain intellectually that it makes a difference. And sitting down to meditate as a high performer that moves fast and has big goals, sitting still can feel very counterintuitive and really a struggle. <laughs> so <laughs> how did you go? You thought big, started with an hour. I realized that wasn't going to work. You scaled down. Right. But still, even I mean, a minute, 30 seconds is a long time for meditation for many people that have never practiced before. Sure. Sure. Well, in all honesty... When, you're, when you sit down and meditate, be it for a minute, be it for an hour, whatever the case may be, when you notice that your mind has wandered off, a lot of the time, what happens is people beat themselves up. They say, well, I can't meditate or there I go again. My mind has wandered off yet again. And if you just change the narrative, your personal narrative in that event, rather than saying that, you say, oh, my mind wandered off. Let me bring it back to the anchor, the anchor being your breath, the body scan, a mantra, whatever the case may be. And as you do that over and over, that's actually where the magic happens. That's like a mental push-up, if you will. That's where you're going to strengthen, strengthen your mind, strengthen new neural pathways, develop new neural pathways, cut away some old ones, do some neural pruning. And that's where that neurological rewiring actually happens so that you can become more focused. And as you start to notice that you become more focused, then you realize that the practice is doing you good. It's much like going to the gym. As you start to notice the effects in the mirror, you're like, okay, you know what? All this hard work that I'm putting in, it's worth it. Well, the same thing happens mentally. You notice that the work is, is, is working and uh, so it's worth it. Well, and I love what you said about the noticing is the push-up. It's not that right. the clear mind, the Zen moment 
that's the result. But the push-up is the noticing the thought. And rather than bullying myself and wishing that they weren't there, I can say, wow, I just exercised that moment. I said, I recognize you and now I'm going to move you away. And that's when, that's the rep that I'm looking for. Exactly. hundred percent. Yeah. Spot on. And that's once you change that narrative, that just that simple way of looking at what has happened with your mind, you can start to meditate. Uh, Once you start to be a little bit easier on yourself, less negative, you can start to meditate. And that's where that's that first domino, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. What was the tipping point for you in the sense that you started big and your teacher said, you know, you've got to just start small. Just keep go- keep going to the gym. Keep getting those mental clarity reps. When did you start to see the change? Well, I, I started to see, basically, feel an immediate change once I was, you know, able to do some breathing exercises for you know more than a minute. That that was an immediate change. But then I would come out of that breathing exercise and go to work or get stuck in traffic, and I would go go back into that stress level and be be stressed out. The lasting effects from meditating came at about the two-month mark. Once I would sit down, meditate for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever the case may be, that good feeling of relief would come immediately after, and then it would last in between and up until the next meditation. So it was kind of this cumulative effect. But it took about two months of regular practice. Again, the gym analogy applies much like going to the gym for two months, you don't see the effects in the mirror. You may see the effects immediately when you're doing a bicep curl and say, okay, yeah, my muscles look great. And then you walk out of the gym and now your muscles don't look so great. But then you do that for two months straight, you're going to start to see those lasting effects. And that's that's what it was, about two months. Well, and to reinforce the the reality that if you expected that when you went to the gym that first time that you would walk out ripped, that's just unrealistic. And we know that. Absolutely. But somehow with mental exercises or with really in meditation, we sometimes have this expectation that it should be more immediate, but it is. It's time on task over time. It's not a, a quick button. It's building <laughs> the habit of that, that practice so that that piece becomes automatic versus having to choose it each time. Exactly, exactly. And much like you've spoken about in the book, right? You know, the, the, the rumor is that it takes 21 days to develop a habit, but it really on average, it takes uh, about 66 to automate it. That's what it was about, you know, 66 days or so until I started to see and feel the effects of, of the meditation as well. After you and I spoke the first time, and I was sharing with my partner Brent about John and meditation, and I said, you know, I, because I really, can get dizzying in my brain. I can chase those thoughts. And I have... Sometimes I just say, you know what? That's just me. You know, I'm a fast-paced driver. That's just who I am. And my partner, Brent, is the opposite. He's very um, at peace, at ease, almost all the time. And I said to him, like, you don't need this as much as I do. And he said, Kaylin, that's like looking at someone that's ripped and saying, why do you go to the gym every day? You're already strong. And he said it in such a way that was just such a, so obvious in hindsight, but that practice does become sort of invisible once it, once you have the habits and once they're automatic and they keep you in that healthy state. So where would you start? Like what's one thing that we can start to identify as an activity that can get to us to that place? 
Well, I, I think where people struggle is, is one, the term meditation, much like I did. I was a skeptic when I heard that term. I, I thought the, the counselor was uh, off his rocker. Um, so rather than using the term meditation, maybe use the term mindfulness or just breathing, a breathing exercise, breath work. That's what a lot of people call it. Um, I think that's a good way to start. Start with a simple breath work exercise, but what is called box breathing. So you may breathe in for four seconds, hold it for four seconds, breathe out for four seconds, and then hold it for four seconds. And then you do that five, six, seven times. That as you do that and you focus very intentionally on the act of breathing, that essentially is a meditation. And you get you can get through that by focusing on your breath. And it's very short very down and to the point, but you can also see the effects immediately. You can go into that meditation somewhat stressed, somewhat anxious, and come out of that meditation or breath work much more calm. And once you see those effects, then then I think that's where the, the game really changes. You can see that you control your, your sympathetic nervous system. You can take it from sympathetic into parasympathetic. That's where you're calm. That's where your rest and digest nervous system takes over. And that's uh, that's an important thing. Once you see that you can control your body and respond rather than react, I think that's where uh, that's where I would start. Uh, start start simple. Start with uh, some very short breathing exercises, and then go from there. Build on build on that make a good point that often in those times of stress, we react with, maybe it's thoughts are our habit, that we react with quick thoughts. We react with quick responses. But if we choose to start reacting with breath rather than those thoughts or rather than those default responses, we actually take back control of a lot of our relationships, of our outcomes, of so many pieces just by breathing. That's a powerful... Yeah, it's huge. Tell me about a time when that when you've been able to use breath to take a moment back. Sure. I mean, I, uh, there's countless times, uh, some that jump to mind right now, and, and I know this will apply to you now as, as a new mom. I've got children. I've got a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a one-month-old. And sometimes, you know, you just get tired as, an, as a parent uh, or the, the kids may do something that you ask them not to or vice versa. And sometimes, you know, that's your stimulus. And if you can inject a, a pause in between your stimulus and your thought, then your, your emotions and actions are also going to be different. So S-T-E-A, stimulus, thought, emotion, action. If you're able to inject a pause in there to take a breath and say, okay, you know what? <laughs> this is not the end of the world because some spilled milk. It's not worth getting super upset about. That's one anecdotal example. And then uh, on, on the battlefield, uh, where, where we use it is, is tactically, as you, as you are presented with a potential enemy, you have to take that split second. You may not be taking that breath, but you take a split second to think about what's happening and whether or not you should engage that, that potential enemy, whether it's a threat or not, maybe it's a, a, a complete innocent bystander on the battlefield. And you need to be able to take that tactical pause, as we call it in the military. And what's funny is we talked about the whole time I was in the SEAL teams, we talked about tactical pauses. And I never really thought about it until later when I got introduced to mindfulness and meditation, that that's what I was doing. I was practicing one split second of mindfulness right there on the battlefield. Isn't it interesting how language can reshape the way we understand something? 
because totally. a tactical pause in your in your work made so much sense. But yeah, right. sometimes it's easy to speed past that breath because we're so busy or we're so, we it's very easy to make excuses to not slow down and yet it can cost us a lot. It, it can. It can cost us everything. Quite literally, it can cost us a lot with our friends, family, uh, colleagues. It can cost us a lot with our jobs. Uh, so there's, yeah, there's just so much that we can learn and and uh, benefit from by implementing these practices, again, both personally and professionally. So you mentioned being a new mom, which I got to be honest, the transition to being a working parent has been so challenging. So yeah, I I was naive. I thought because I love my job and I love my family, doing both would be so simple because of how I feel about them. And I was so wrong. (laughs) And (laughs) trying to be present at home when my job feels big and being a rookie as a parent and suddenly everything just gets topsy-turvy. So... I'm sure I'm not alone in that. I'm sure you as a working parent also feel bad. Yeah. Work this out for me. How can I start to leverage some mindfulness to be a better parent and a better leader and to not sacrifice either either role? Yeah, I don't know that... I don't know that we can get to a point where you don't sacrifice. It's just a point of when you're making the different sacrifices. Again, much like in the book, you don't reach that perfect work-life balance, right? There's a counterbalance that at one point, one of the one part of your life is going to be out of balance. But I think just managing when things are out of balance is, is key. Um, so as far as implementing mindfulness in your day as, as a new parent, um, and, and I got to admit, I was completely naive as well until I had my, my, <laughs> my daughter, my, my four-year-old now. But when I, when I was in the, in the military and I didn't have children and I saw some of the uh, men and women who did and uh, I, I saw them struggling to attain that work-life balance, I, I was very naive about it. Um, and then having a child of my own made me a better leader in the military because I was able to be more compassionate with those that I was leading about their uh, life situations. But anyway, um, implementing that mindfulness, what I recommend is as a, as a new parent, waking up 10 minutes before chaos ensues, at least, uh, ideally maybe an hour, give yourself an hour to do whatever it is that you do to include a a meditation. If that, if that works for you, uh, if not, then just some quiet time by yourself, just settling your mind and figuring out what the day ahead looks like. Uh, doing your four one one, right? Seeing what's in in line with your ideals and values and your goals, and then and then once chaos ensues, once the children do get up, then you've already got that behind you and you've got that win. So I think that's important. Once you have that win, then you're able to live more mindfully throughout the day. If you are not able to do that. If you wake up at the same time as the children or wake up at the same time that you're supposed to jump in the car and go to work and you don't give yourself that that tactical pause, if you will, in your own life, you go to, you go to school, you go to work, you go wherever, and it feels as though you're being shot out of a cannon and you're constantly playing catch up. So give yourself that head start by waking up just a little bit early and having some private time to do whatever works for you. And that that can be mindfulness. That can be a meditation, but it can also just be mindfulness, being, you know, drinking your first cup of coffee 
in dead silence and paying attention to what that coffee smells like, tastes like, feels like in your hand, that's mindfulness. And uh, you know, if meditation doesn't work for you, you can at least implement that. And the mindfulness has some of the same effects that meditation has in your life. I mean, the book talks about counterbalance and that you can't have a perfect balance that just doesn't exist. And on paper, that makes sense. And in the day-to-day, that can feel like chaos, right? It's that like striking that like counterbalance and trying to be fully present in each part of my world. And yet the choice of choosing the place that I'm in versus reacting to what I think I'm supposed to be doing really is a clear distinction. It's giving, it's taking my control back while also letting me choose when my one thing is my family, that is my one thing. And when Mm -hmm. my one thing is my job, that is my one thing. And to start practicing the discipline of when one role creeps into the other's boundaries to just say, I acknowledge you. (laughs) And that's not my one thing right now. Right, right. And it's it's a habit. It takes practice. It's not going to happen immediately. Totally. And you have to give yourself grace. You know, give yourself... Hey, when, when you are at work and sometimes being at work and being at home are literally in the same place these days, right? More and more so with, with the pandemic. But you have to just give yourself grace and realize that you are a human being and you're, you're putting in your best effort to make things work, to counterbalance as, as best you can. And sometimes uh, that, that counterbalance is going to get out of whack. But then take a step back. And that's where, again, where mindfulness comes into play is taking that step back and realizing that it is so far out of balance and not where you want it to be and working to get it back to, to where you want it to be. It, or at least in that moment, right? It's, yeah. it's never going to be perfect. You just work to get back to where you want it to be in that moment. Well, and choosing one moment at a time and exactly. acknowledging the fact that I am not going to be perfect, especially as I'm learning and practicing those skills at the front end and I will get better and I will improve and perfection's just not on the table. <laughs> right, right. It, it would keep me from even choosing it if that's what I was... Um, if I continued to not be perfect and that was the expectation, that would be really frustrating. But if I can choose right. to just try once, try again and continue to um, just be mindful of what's my one thing right now and how can I focus on it versus give in to the distractions that can sometimes creep into my life and into my brain. Right, right. And then again, you know, that grace, that's where perfection is not on the table. And if we realize that, if we're making progress and give ourselves credit for that progress regularly, then it's going to be easier to develop that habit. So, you know, if, if, if meditation is something that we want to take up and we start by sitting down every day for eight weeks and then we fall off and we're like, oh, well, I didn't achieve perfection. And then we just stop completely. Well, that's, that's going to be, I, I don't like to use the word failure, but that's going to be a loss. But you can you can reset and say, you know what? I didn't meditate yesterday. I can get back on that bandwagon and meditate tomorrow, and that's progress. So progress is always is uh, is, is is good. <laughs> well, and even noticing, like maybe I didn't meditate yesterday. How did I feel? I wonder, mm-hmm. like, how did that affect me? To take inventory of what are my behaviors, how are they affecting my results, so that I can make it easier to choose the activities that make better results easier. And that just having that cycle in my brain. John, I've noticed that there is a lot of resources for women, for moms, a lot of mindful mamas out there, meditation stuff. 
And yet there seems not to be the same resources available to fathers and to men and to leaders out there. Do you have any advice for fathers to start to adopt these things or any resources that can help them on the practice? Yeah, as, as a matter of fact, thanks very much for that question. Uh, I actually run a podcast called Men Talking Mindfulness with a, a good friend of mine, Will Schneider, uh, who is a self-proclaimed hippie living in New York City. And the the tagline for the show is what happens when a former Navy SEAL commander and a hippie uh, get together to speak about mindfulness. Well, we don't know. So go ahead and listen. So the, the show uh, is just that. It's to break down the stigma that surrounds these practices for men and show that it is not a uh, a weak practice, show that it is not a feminine practice, not that weak and feminine are synonymous, but just showing that you can be a man's man and practice meditation. You can be a man's man and be... Um, in touch with who you are inside. So we have uh, that podcast is out there and we have a different topic every week. We've actually touched on fatherhood and how mindfulness is important in fatherhood. And uh, the next season, we're going to have an episode on motherhood. So it's called Men Talking Mindfulness, but it is not just for men. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's one resource I would love to plug. So thank you for that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, something else, as you mentioned that there is sort of this stigma even around leadership. When I think about the avatar for what a leader looks like, right? There's They can be a very outgoing, a, assertive, a driver. And yet mindfulness is not always synonymous with those types of characteristics. Do you find that people struggle to wrap their brain around around how to be a mindful leader? Oh, absolutely. I think that people do think that those two are mutually exclusive uh, to a, to a great point. What we, as a matter of fact, on that, on the Men Talking Mindfulness podcast, we have an episode on bosses versus leaders. And I, I feel that those type that you mentioned who are always go-getters, who are looking for the bottom line to increase that bottom line, they may fall more into that bosses category where a leader is somebody who is part of the team and is taking the team with them to their goals. And I think a leader, to be a really good leader, you have to be compassionate. And mindfulness actually helps you to be more compassionate because you're paying more attention to the here and now. You can pay attention to what your people are experiencing, what they need, but you can also have that self-compassion, which is so important. Mm -hmm. If you're able to have that self-compassion, you can take care of yourself. Now, because you're able to take care of yourself, you're better able to take care of those who you're leading. So I think that mindfulness and leadership actually go hand in hand and they are not mutually exclusive. Mm -hmm. When you were talking, I was thinking about my own journey in leadership. And I think that for most of my career, my desire to perform and to be a high achiever and to lead people to greatness was really fueled by fear. When I boil it down, I think a lot about not wanting to fail in front of people, not wanting to let people down, not wanting to miss the opportunities versus... The way you talk about a mindful leader, it's much more grounded and fueled by a sense of peace and listening and noticing. Sure. So what I, I would like to address that with is that that fear that you mentioned, that's kind of a scarcity mindset. And then you can, on the other side, have that mindset of abundance. The scarcity mindset is basically, if you can imagine a, a pie, right? 
and you cut that pie into eight pieces and that there's only eight pieces and that if somebody eats two pieces, then I'm not going to get one. Um, well, life is not like that. Life is not a zero-sum game. If, if one person is succeeding, that doesn't mean that I can't succeed. Life is the abundance. The, the, if we look at it with that abundance mindset, we're going to have less fear and we're actually going to be better leaders. That's where I find we actually, again, have another episode on scarcity versus abundance. That's where I find bosses, quote-unquote bosses versus leaders and the bosses have that scarcity mindset quite often. And so they are leading out of fear. They are pursuing goals out of fear rather than pursuing that leadership role and the goals associated with the team out of that feeling of abundance, knowing that, hey, we can all grow. And we have a, we have a saying in the Navy that a rising tide floats all boats. Well, that's how we kind of look at things as a, as a good leader you're going to lift everyone up. You're going to bring the whole team up with you. And that's, you can do that through that abundance mindset. Well, and I think about my journey as becoming a leader. I was just following the models that I saw. I didn't necessarily have... a. I mean, there were dozens of books on leadership, but nobody handed me that this is the best book for you, Kaylin. And to take a minute and to really reevaluate, like what is the model that I can become so that others can also learn to be a mindful leader? That is... Um, it's it's really empowering actually to start to think critically about how I might do it differently so I can be more fulfilled and teach others to live in the same way. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's critical. And that's a, uh, that's a sign of a good leader is, is knowing that. And, and knowing that comes through mindfulness, I believe that, or at least it's going to be easier to know that through living mindfully and practicing mindfulness. Yeah. John, I'd love to actually switch gears a little bit to sure. how mindfulness can affect other areas of health. So Mm -hmm. we know that especially with habits, like the lead domino for a lot of people's results, whether it's finances, job, um, being a better relationship in, being better in uh, your relationships, that can sometimes the first domino that people address is their health. And sometimes even a smaller domino is that mindfulness piece that then leads to health, that then leads to other areas of life. Can you share a little bit about that relationship between mindfulness and overall health? A hundred percent. Yeah, I, I think they're inextricably intertwined. But yes, knocking over that first mental health domino with mindfulness and meditation, let's say you're stressed out. Because you're stressed out, you're eating poorly. Because you're eating poorly, you're not getting to the gym. Because you're not getting to the gym, you're not sleeping well. And it's just this downward spiral. Well, that whole spiral can be reversed by taking that first step in meditation. And, and again, if you're not comfortable meditating, uh, then maybe just working mind to inject mindfulness into your life. Again, mindfulness is just being present in the here and now. Choosing one of those and implementing those is your first domino. Now that's going to decrease your stress levels. It's going to increase your focus at work. It's going to increase your productivity, your ability to get into states of flow, which is going to make you feel better about things. Now, because you're feeling better, you're able to make better decisions, get better sleep. Because you're getting better sleep, the next day you're going to feel better. Now you're going to make better choices because your willpower is 
is recharged. You're going to make those better choices. You're going to eat better. Now, because you're eating better, you feel better. Now you can get to the gym. Now, because you get to the gym, you're going to increase your physical fitness. Now, because you're increasing physical fitness, now you get back into a good night's rest. And it's just this upward spiral of positivity. So it can all start potentially with knocking that first domino down with taking a pause, a mental pause, and doing meditation or living mindfully. It, it does make a huge difference to where you are in physical health. What you're talking about is similar in uh, in habit formation. We talk about the halo effect, right? So you have one habit that affects all these other areas of your life, and it makes it easier to eat better, to perform at a higher level, to get into that flow state because you've done this one thing. It's that by knocking over one domino, you can knock over the next, which knocks over the next, and so on. And right. um, I think a lot about uh, James Clear talks about in behavior change that like. He talks about that ally, that time is your ally when you're doing behaviors that feed your goals, right? So if it's something that yeah. is attached to my goal, that time is actually starts to get me closer to what I want. Time is my enemy if I am doing the behaviors that are not bringing me closer to my goal. And right. if you can kick it, kickstart it with just one breath or that mindful moment of taking notice, it really can affect a lot of area, other areas of your life. Oh, 100%. I think James clear in Atomic Habits talks about the 1%, right? Just mm -hmm. making 1% change uh, every day and how much of a change that makes over a year versus making no change. If you make zero change, obviously you're not going to change. But if you just make a tiny incremental change every single day, how much better you're going to be. Well, the same thing with, with uh, the mindfulness. If you just start practicing with maybe one minute, one day, and then 1% better every day. As a matter of fact, I think I've got Dan Harris's 10% Happier book here. That's, that's what it talks about as well, is, is just getting 10% better and the cumulative effect of that, how, how much better you can be in the long run. Yeah. In the moment, it's hard to sometimes appreciate how powerful those small things can be. And yet, time and time again, when we look back, we can start to see the true investment of those activities as they start to pay off in tenfolds. Sure. Yeah. The, the return on investment is, is just huge. Uh, and and that's, that's what you've got to look at. Just like the return on investment by going to the gym, uh, it, it's, you know, in, in the long run, it's going to make a huge impact both on you physically and mentally by getting to the gym. Well, that's the reverse with, with practicing mental health. That's going to help you out mentally as well as physically. So it's just uh, this compounding effect. As you've had your own experience with mindfulness and really found a lot of positive results. What have you found that keeps people from choosing it? What are the things that prevent people down this path? Even though we've read the studies, we see people like you, what keeps people from choosing it? The one that I hear more often than not is I don't have enough time. Uh, you know, the, the, the time poverty that we're all experiencing in this day and age or at least the, that we feel that we're experiencing, that I think convinces people not to do something like this because the return on investment isn't immediate and, and it, takes, it takes work. But what I have found and what, where I'm able normally to convince people to give it a try is when I tell them that by sitting down for 10 minutes and meditating, calming your mind, you're going to be able to better focus on what your priorities are, what your one thing is, and work at that. And maybe what normally would take you eight hours at work to complete, you can get done in six hours because you're more focused, more productive, more creative, more, more communicative. 
and so when I tell them by putting in 15 minutes, you're going to get that 15 minutes back and then potentially even more, that's normally when I get people's buy-in. The second one that I hear a lot is, is and we talked about this earlier, is people say, oh, I, I can't meditate. I'm one of those people who just can't meditate. And trust me, I was there. I thought I was one of those people as well. But when you get past that negative self-talk and you realize that when your mind has wandered off, that's the mental push-up that we talked about earlier, that's when you can start to make those changes. Yeah, I, I hear that a lot too, that I'm not that that person. I'm not the guru. I'm not the yogi. Or it's attached to these other kinds of people or ways of being that make us feel like we don't belong. But on the flip side, we're all just trying to be productive and trying to choose where we want to be and be less stressed. So if there's a solution that people say actually works, it seems silly to not not at least try it. I mean, honestly... This is that that small domino. It's it's it does not take that much work. It's it's um it's a simple practice that you can implement, and you can start easy. There definitely are harder meditations that you can do, but you can start easy with a, just some breath work, or just by living mindfully, paying attention to that cup of coffee, paying attention to your meals. I talk about mindful meals. I talk about mindful pauses when I teach by sitting down when when you sit down for lunch. Don't have your TV and your computer and your phone up. Just sit down for lunch and pay attention to that meal that's in front of you. Pay attention to the five senses that are coming into play that allow you to enjoy that meal. Pay attention to what you're experiencing emotionally as you eat that meal. Hey, are you eating because it's going to actually nourish you and make you feel better? Or are you eating because you're bored? Or are you eating because it's a social event? And and not that there's any judgment with any of that, but just notice it. And by noticing it, that is you being mindful. And by being mindful just in the meals, you will notice that you end up being more mindful throughout your day. It's pretty wild. To boil it down for listeners, there are lots of things you can, we can do. We always talk about what's the one thing I can do such that by doing it would make everything else easier. Not the one thing I should do. Not the one thing I want to bully myself into trying and then being upset that I'm not great at it. But what's the one thing I can do such that by doing it would make everything else easier? Where can people start? Uh, well, I would be remiss if I if I didn't tell you to to look for this program that I'm a part of. It's uh, with Movement RX and uh, my partner is a former Marine, uh, Teresa Larson. She's a doctor of physical therapy. Now we've put together a 21 day mindfulness experience, uh, so you can check that out. But if that's not for you, there's uh, there are lots of apps out there. Uh, that that really guide you through meditation and keep it simple, keep it uh, secular. And you know, there's there's some who don't want to practice meditation because they think it's one religion or another. And and these these uh, apps keep it secular, and that that helps a lot of people get through that barrier. Um, but yeah, Insight Timer, Calm. Uh, but but bottom line is get started. Uh, push that play button and uh, and get started. I love that. John, where can people find you? Uh, I am on LinkedIn, uh, J-O-N-M-A-C-A-S-K-I-L-L. That's where I'm most prolific. But then I'm on other social medias as uh, the Mindful Frogman. That's <laughs> uh, my, my handle on, on, uh, on the, the various forms of social media. Right on. Well, thank you for sharing your journey with us. And thank you for inspiring us to just start. Because it sounds like there are lots of things we can do, but really, if we don't just choose to try one and start small, that's that's the one thing that will start the catalyst to two more things. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Well, thanks so much for having me, Kayla, and I really appreciate it. And it's been a been a lot of fun talking with you. 
There you have it, our conversation with retired Navy SEAL and mindfulness teacher, John McCaskill. You know, what stood out to me from talking with John is that mindfulness, it's not about achieving an ultimate Zen or even being good at meditating. Mindfulness is not a skill to be perfected, but rather it is a practice to keep showing up for. When we make a habit of noticing rather than reacting, we also make space to be more purposeful and present in the moment. As leaders, you can start small by taking one breath or choosing, as John put it, the tactical pause before you take action. Mindfulness as a habit is about choosing to be present right now rather than letting your thoughts drift from the past or into the future or letting them drive your reactions. If this episode has brought value to you, who's someone you know or care about that would benefit from listening to it? Would you share it with them? And if that person is you, welcome to the One Thing Podcast. Click the subscribe button so that all future episodes will be automatically downloaded to your device. And for all of you, please consider leaving us a rating or review on your podcast player of choice. Because here's the thing, when you give us a rating, we are listening. Your feedback helps us do better and be better. And it also helps us reach more people and live our purpose of helping others achieve their goals. Thanks so much for listening to the One Thing Podcast. We look forward to being with you in the next episode.